Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We pray that you're encouraged by today's message from our associate pastor, Peter Vischer. Uh, we are in a series church on uh, the book of Acts. And uh, Acts is the first book after the four gospels in the New Testament. It tells the story of the first church. And uh, today, if you didn't know, there are 2.4 billion Christians worldwide. That's pretty great. That's amazing. Uh, but Christianity didn't start out that way. It started out with 120 people gathered for prayer in a room. I preached about this just a few weeks ago out of Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit rushed upon them like wind and empowered them with spiritual gifts. Uh, people, to shut off. Oh, there we go. Okay. A whole bunch of people came running because they heard the commotion. The gospel was preached that day, and 3,000 people were added to the church. Now, what I want to say is it didn't stop with 3,000. I mean, that's a great congregation, but Acts chapter 2, the very last verse, it says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Isn't that incredible? Daily, more people were coming. Acts 5.14, multitudes believed in the Lord and were added to their number. This is a growing, thriving church. So whichever way you put it, <clears throat> large numbers of people are understanding the message that Jesus is God's promised Savior. He's saving them. He's healing them. He's helping them to live a good life. That same message, you hear it every Sunday here at TFH Church. We're still preaching. The church is still growing. And uh, what we're going to see in today's message is the church is still dealing with some growing pains. We're going to talk about some growing pains. Uh, but what's amazing is the solution is still the same. God is equipping and empowering people to serve in his church. And God may be calling you to serve in TFH Church in some capacity. And so my message is called Servant Leaders. And that's a familiar term here at the Father's House because Servant Leaders Night is this big event that we do uh, for everybody who serves or leads in any capacity in our church. And so Maybe you're going to be added to the team today. We're, we're hoping that'll happen. Let's pray together, and then uh, we'll jump in. God, there's just so many things to celebrate about this church. There's so many lives, God, being impacted each and every week. God, we thank you for worship. We thank you for the preaching of your word. God, we thank you for the movement of your Holy Spirit, and you're just changing lives. God, let it be true of today's message as well. Lord, that so many people would be moved to action, God, because of today's message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Well, uh, Pastor Glenn started out last Sunday, and he said, what, what's God's plan? What's the big picture? I'm going to start off very much the same way. Uh, what was driving these church leaders to evangelize and hold services and teach the Bible and serve and meet needs? There's... Um, something called the Great Commission. It is right at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And it has Jesus, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given to you. And be sure of this, God's Spirit is with us, the Spirit of Christ is with us, even to the very end of the age when God wraps it all up. And so this is the Great Commission, and this is why every church on the planet exists. Why do churches exist? It's for the Great Commission. At least it should be why every church exists. Now, if you go to our church website, 
Don't go now. You don't have to. tfhchurch.ca. On the About page, there's a, a link that says who we are, and it outlines our vision and values. And our vision statement goes like this. It says, the Father's house exists to help people find their way home to God and make disciples. That's our vision statement. Welcome home to the Father's house. I think I heard Pastor Greg say it this morning. Welcome home. You're finding your way home to God. We believe that home is a place of rest and security and acceptance. Home is a joyful place. It's a healthy place that you share with the people who are most important to you. We believe that you are never more at home than when you are in a relationship with your Heavenly Father and you're growing with brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. That's what it's all about. Uh, We believe that home is not just an experience on Sunday. How many of you know that who you are and how you're shaped in your home, it goes with you? It goes with you into your week. And God wants you to be shaped by what you receive in His home which is his church. Amen? Okay, so our core values are also listed on our website. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Many years ago, we had meetings. We had hours and hours and hours of meetings, and we sought to answer the question, what is a disciple? What does discipleship look like in our context here at TFH? And we came up with this acronym called CARE. And so another ism that you'll hear at the Father's house is a church built with care. We are a church built with care. It's on some of our literature. It's on our website. Uh, You want to be a caring person. We want to be a caring church. I just want to say that the definition of care, never mind the acronym, the definition of care is a good definition. I want to read that for you as well. It says, the provision of what is necessary for the health welfare, maintenance, and protection of someone or something. That's a good definition. Another definition said serious attention or consideration applied to doing something correctly to avoid damage. I mean, mic drop. We're a church built with care. This is a caring church, a caring community of believers. Uh, But beyond that, let's go into the acronym now. So, starting with the C, we celebrate Jesus in every area of our lives. We accept ourselves and others while pursuing maturity together. We receive God's grace daily to fulfill His eternal purposes. And then the last one is, we engage our world by equipping one another to care. And so it's this cyclical process of disciples who go and make more disciples who celebrate, accept, receive, and engage. And uh, this is a bit of an unusual sermon because you just had a TFH 101 class. Like, you just, that was it. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so this is God's plan. Early church is making disciples. TFH Church in Sturgeon County, Alberta is making disciples. Both are growing. We're not growing in multitudes, but I think there's a growing multitude here at the Father's House. If you didn't know, uh, our church has grown by about 100 people in the past six to eight months. Yeah, that's exciting. Amen. And to see that kind of growth in about six to eight months, that's amazing. We're right now a church of 500 people uh, in person and watching online every Sunday. That is our average attendance. Um, 
Now, that doesn't come without some challenges because the enemy is opposing all the time. The enemy is opposing this great commission, this, you know, discipleship that is taking place in the house of God. There are three attacks that are seen in the uh, early church, and I think that we see them all over the world and in our church as well. The first one is more common in other nations. We see persecution. Peter and John were arrested, questioned, and then flogged. Thank God I have never been flogged before. That does not sound like fun. We'll see people beaten and thrown in prison, and the next chapter, Stephen, stoned to death. Wow. Persecution is an attack of the enemy that comes against the church. Next, we have corruption. Pastor Greg talked about these corrupt Christians, Ananias and Sapphira. Pastor Glenn mentioned them again last week, Acts chapter 5. They withheld money that was supposed to be given to the church. The church overcame, sin was dealt with, a reverent awe fell over the community, church continued to grow. Now this last one, this kind of helps my message take shape today. Sometimes the enemy uses things like division, dissension, distraction, and disunity to stop growth in a church. That's an attack of the enemy upon the body of Christ. And this brings us to our main text for today, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Now, I don't mean to get all down on the attacks of the enemy because they're real. They are. The enemy opposes your family. The enemy opposes your marriage. The enemy opposes your physical body. You get sick, all this stuff. The enemy opposes the church. But there's hope and there's victory. We were singing about it in Jesus' name this morning. Jesus said, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not overcome it. We're a triumphant church. We're led forward in victory. Amen? All right, so I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, as the believers rapidly multiplied... There were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. And so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Verse 5 said, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas of Antioch, who was an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid hands on them. And verse 7 kind of ends how it starts. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. All right, who's ready for my thesis? This is kind of how I write sermons. This is how I write papers. So um, you can go to sleep right after you hear this, okay? All right. So here it is. God's plan is accomplished and problems are met by people who have priorities. Priorities include participation, which ends up in progress. I realized as I preached this message in the first service, I should have put prayer and preaching in there as priorities as well. But that's it. I'm going to keep that up on the screen so you can take it in just for a moment. We're going to walk through this statement, and we're going to see what it meant to the early church and what it means to TFH Church. So first word in that statement is plan. 
What is God's plan? I just talked about it. Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations. Teach these disciples to obey the commands I have given to you. The Father's house exists to help people find their way home and to make disciples who care. Verse 1, the believers rapidly multiplied. Come on, multiplication growth in the church, not just addition. This is what we want. People are coming, they're getting connected, there's teaching, there's fellowship, and then with success comes a problem. With success usually comes more than one. One group of believers felt their widows were being discriminated against in the daily food distribution, and they weren't being supported as they should be. Now, to give this context, I was like, what's really going on here? So I dug deeper into the commentary, and it seems that there's a a feud going on between two sides of the church. We have Greek-speaking Jews, and we have Hebrew-speaking Jews. Now, the Greek ones hadn't always lived in Jerusalem. This actually takes us right back to the last time I preached on Acts chapter 2. Pentecost happens. There's this huge move of the Holy Spirit, and all of these Greek Jews who had come for Pentecost and Passover, they never went home. And what I love about that, Pastor Greg and I joke about it all the time. We're like, what's the value of a good church? When people, two Sundays ago, we had a guest fill out a card and say, I might have to consider moving because I love this church. And I was like, come on, that's so good. I love it. (laughs) Amen. Okay, so we have the Greek-speaking Jews. Then you have the Hebrew-speaking Jews. They had been there the whole time in Jerusalem. They converted from Judaism, became Christians, and now they lived with people who didn't share their culture and values. And so we have Greek and Hebrew people, we have old and young people, we have single and married people, rich and poor people, we have all people. Now what happens when a whole big community of people get together? Opinions (laughs) and attitude. That's what happens. Opinions. It'd be so much easier if we didn't have those. The Hebrew Jews thought that the Greek Jews, this is straight from the commentary, unspiritual compromisers. That's how they viewed the Greek ones, too contemporary, too worldly. The Greek Jews looked at the Hebrew-speaking Jews and said, stuffy, stuck-up traditionalists. That's not happening today, is it? Like, no, definitely not. These people are legalistic. Now, again, there's good things. I mean, this is before denominations and all that and whatnot, but it's a miracle to have these people living together, breaking bread, sharing their possessions, but there's problems. Now, I want you to notice the word that the Greek Jews used to describe the problem that was being brought to the apostles. They said, our widows are being discriminated against. Now, some of the other versions use the word neglect. Those are very strong words. Why am I mentioning that? It's because interpretation is everything. Interpretation is everything. The word suggests that there's something seated in their hearts. It's embedded in their hearts. Discrimination, neglect. But factually speaking, the issue was not discrimination. It wasn't deliberate. These Greek-speaking widows were missed because, can you imagine? God's adding to the church daily. Multitudes of people are getting saved. There's an administration and supervision uh, need in the church. There's a need for more volunteers. And this is how the enemy works. He uses unintentional problems to begin conflict. This is how he attacks. Does this happen in churches today? Yeah, 
It does, all the time. Um, if you stick around long enough, I promise you're going to get offended in TFH Church. You are. I, it's happened to me a few times. I used to, like, it used to stroke my ego in this wonderful way when people would come and say, man, I love this church. I have found the best church on the planet. And I was like, yeah, you have. And then people would come and they'd start saying that. And I'm saying, just stick around. Just, just wait. Uh, we're not going to say hi to you. We'll wake up tired and we won't smile at you. We'll forget your name. We won't have time to meet with you. You'll call a meeting and we'll be swamped. Um, we won't have a care group that meets your needs. Somebody emailed through the website the other day about that. We won't interpret a scripture how you would like it interpreted or how that guy on YouTube interprets it. We won't play the songs that you love to sing. We'll miss a patch of ice on the sidewalk. We'll forget to change the toilet paper. And the list goes on and on and on. It is bound to happen. It's a big job to manage a congregation of 500 people. I can't imagine what the disciples are going through. But for us to manage this property, the facility, every ministry while keeping up with leadership development and pastoral care and counseling and what I know to be true, let me just advocate for the hearts of Pastor Greg and the board and the staff and my heart, we would never purposefully neglect the needs of any group or individual in this church. We never would. I want to clarify that... Um, I, I was really wrestling with this in my office as I was writing this message, and really what I felt the Holy Spirit say to me is, Peter, it's possible to be right and wrong at the same time. It's possible to be totally right and totally wrong at the same time. And we see it in this story. The Greek Jews were right in their facts. They were wrong in their hearts. They were right in their facts. They were wrong in their hearts. There was a group whose needs were not being met. That's fact. They were upset about it, and they named it as neglect and discrimination, but that probably wasn't the case. Um, people come to this church and they say, I'm not being seen, I'm not being heard, my needs aren't being met, and it must be because of an error in leadership. It must be their fault, it must be their problem. Um, and you know what, sometimes in churches, it is. You know, we're, we're focused on different things, and, and there's large groups within the congregation or individuals who are being missed, and they're leaving the church, and they're going away hurt, but that's not often the case. I want to say about church leaders, sometimes you're dealing with leaders whose hearts are so good, but they're overwhelmed, and they can't see everything. They're not aware. They love the Lord. They love people. They go home at night. It's, it's, I pray for my family at night. I pray for my church and my Christian school every single day. I'm praying. And I know that's the same for Pastor Greg and the staff. Now, before anybody feels guilty, I just want to say, this is a great church. This is a healthy, vibrant, thriving church. Most of the time, the people of TFH are coming to us, and they're saying, we're with you. We're with you. We're cheering you on. We love you. We're so thankful. And even when there's constructive feedback, most of the time, it's a good heart. It's a really good heart. Uh, it's a beautiful thing when somebody in our church comes to one of the staff and says, hey, I just want to bless you. I just want to encourage you. What you're doing can't be easy. You're doing a great job. Thank you. I was wondering if you knew about this person or about this problem, and they're being missed, and their needs aren't being taken care of. Could I share a few suggestions with you? Better yet, can I help? 
people come and say, can I help meet that need? Can I bring six or seven others alongside? Can I help start that group? And can I commit to praying for you and the church? How is that going to be received? How is that going to be received by the leadership? You're, I was joking in the first service, you'll have pastor weeping on your shoulder if, if you do that. But sometimes it doesn't go that way in churches. Don't just think about this church, think about the church. Sometimes there's sarcasm, sometimes there's biting comments, anger, accusation. Sometimes people aren't talking to us, they're talking about us. And it's coming through the grapevine and we're hearing about it. These things enter leadership teams and care groups and specific demographics of the church, seniors, singles, young adults, others. And when that happens, it's not even about the problem anymore. We can deal with problems. We can talk about problems. We can brainstorm solutions. But it's about what is spiritually injected because of the attitudes of those involved. And so the facts can be right, but a discontent, a disgruntled heart can lead good people to talk about problems in a way that is damaging to the vision, the mission, and the values of the church. We're a church built with care. We want to welcome people home to the Father's house. Let's do it. But some Christians are better at fighting each other than they are at fighting the enemy. And I realize that even in my marriage, too. We're, we're, just, we're fighting and whatnot. And then I realize, let's just stop and let's pray together. We're going to go to work on this right now, and it's amazing how that plan of the enemy is just dissolved. Hallelujah. Um, we want to be defined by our discipleship, not by our disunity. It's really unfortunate how many churches, their primary core vision, values, mission is being buried by disunity. But we want to be defined by discipleship. God is calling all of us, including the pastors, I'm just like you, I'm just a guy, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, patient, humble, loving, supportive. The Bible says that where there is unity, what does it say? God commands His blessing. Amen? And so let's put first things first, all right? Uh, the next word is priorities. I love these apostles. I mean, we see them goof up again and again throughout Jesus' ministry, but like, man, these guys are awesome. They didn't get offended by these Greek-speaking Jews, even though there was misunderstanding. And what the Lord said to me about that is there's times as a leader in this church where I need to absorb miscommunication, and I need to lay that at the cross. And I need to absorb hurt because somebody has a wrong idea of how we're leading or how we're representing. These apostles, they didn't turn a blind eye to the people. They addressed the problem while not being pulled from their priorities. Verse 2, it says, We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. First things first. This is it. It's so important for the health of a church that the ministry of the Word goes first. Now, um, I was talking about Pastor Greg in the first service, and he came back for the second service, so I, I think I'm good to keep talking about him. But um, Pastor Greg's priority is the ministry of the Word. That is Pastor Greg's priority. And because that's his priority, and I've seen him fiercely defend that time that he has to study and to pray and to read commentary and to get alone with God, that because that is our lead pastor's priority, there's going to be an anointing that overflows over the body here at the Father's house. 
will experience the blessing. But that doesn't mean that many things don't pull on Pastor Greg's attention. Many things, multiple things. We need to raise money. We need to meet budget, manage events, craft job descriptions, envision the staff, hold them accountable, care for the building, the property. We need more volunteers, people all the time in a church of 500. Can I meet with you? Can I meet with you? Can I meet? We want to talk with you. Hey, watch this video. Read this article here. Read this book. It's, it's all the time. And in the early church, guys, we need to wait on tables. They brought it to the apostles. We need to wait on tables. Here's what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying through that. There's a problem when churches leave the ministry of the word to wait on tables. Now, it's not that all these things don't need to get done. They need to get done. They're important. But what we see happening in many modern-day universities, churches, schools that used to be renowned for preaching the gospel, we're seeing them simply managing systems and structures. There are churches, universities, and schools that are now softening, removing, and forgetting their priority. Their first message, Pastor Greg prioritizes the word. We need to support him. It was like such a conviction in my heart. We need to pray for him. Wednesdays is primarily his sermon day. Pray for him on Wednesdays. But he's in the Word on Mondays and Tuesdays. Pray for him. Pray for protection over him. It's not that waiting on tables was beneath the apostles. It's not that any of these things are beneath Pastor Greg. Every now and then somebody comes and says, yeah, well, I believe that pastors should mop. Yeah, well, I believe that the pastors, I mean, come on. Give them a bottle, let them sanitize the bathrooms. I mean, what makes them think they're better? We're not. We're actually just normal people. Pastor Greg can do those things. I can do those things. But the priority is the ministry of the Word. That's it. And for the rest of our staff, we have roles and responsibilities that support our lead pastor so he doesn't have to be involved. My role is church management. I don't know if anybody knew that, but I do everything I can as Pastor Greg's associate to manage the staff and the ministry so that he doesn't have to carry the primary load of that. We have a children's pastor. We have youth and young adult pastors. We have a prayer and care pastor, Pastor Hayward. We have those who serve in worship and media, administration, custodial, hospitality and events. Carla, such a great job she's doing. And where am I going with this message? Church, we have you. We have all of you. We have every single person in this room and in the first service and those watching online right now. That brings me to the next word, and the next word is participation. Participation. There's a place for you. We passionately believe that there's a place of connection and involvement for every person in the Father's house. Um, if you look in the book of uh, Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, um, Paul's talking about the body of Christ. And he's really making a case that there are no non-functioning members in the body of Christ. There are hands and feet and toes and fingers and eyes and ears and mouth and nose and all these things. God set you in the body. God set you in his church. You are talented. You are gifted. There's a place for you. You are called to serve. And some people come and they say, I enjoy the coffee and I enjoy the sermon and I hit the door. I'm out of here. That's not going to be this church. It's not. We need you to participate in God's plan because one pastor, 
or one staff member, no matter how gifted they are, will not be able to do ministry alone. Even a team of six or seven in a church of 500, we can't do it. And what does God want to do? God wants to welcome more and more people home to the Father's house. God wants us to make disciples who care. What happens when this church is 700 people? What happens as we move into our next care group season and I say, church, we need 20 more care groups. What happens when hundreds of people show up here and the floor is dirty and the bathrooms are overrun and we need more people? What happens when people bring their kids? There's a place for children in this church and we don't have enough people. What happens? Staff will just need to work harder, won't they? (laughs) D.L. Moody once said, I would rather summon a thousand men to do the work than do the work of a thousand men. That's a great quote from D.L. Moody. Verse 3 of our text, it says that the church went to work on getting capable servant leaders involved. They commissioned deacons, and if you look into the original language, that's what it means, servant leaders. They commissioned servant leaders to administrate and meet the needs. Now, what's really cool about this story is the seven people that they brought forward to meet the needs of the Greek-speaking widows, they were Greek. They were all Greek. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. The Greek Jews had a problem. Who better to solve the problem than the Greek-speaking Jews? And so this is a biblical precedent that we follow here at TFH. People come to us with problems. And we used to, when people came to us with problems, we used to hyperventilate a little bit and go, okay, I, I got to do that. I'm going to go take care of that right now. I, I, it's my problem. Now we say, hmm, thanks for bringing us that problem. How would you like to volunteer? to help us meet the need, right? (laughs) Amen. And I actually mean that genuinely. Sometimes if the Holy Spirit is laying it profoundly on your heart that there's a group being missed or there are needs being missed, maybe you can be a part of the solution too. But uh, we do want to ensure that you're specifically suited to meet the need. Everybody can and should have a place to serve in the Father's house. And so I'll say it again. I'm going to give you my thesis statement again. God's plan is accomplished, and problems are met by people who have priorities. I'm going to throw prayer and preaching in there. Priorities include prayer, preaching, participation, which ends up in progress. God's plan is for people to find their way home to God. The enemy is opposing that plan. He's attacking the church. Division, dissension, distraction, disunity. We need to put first things first. Man, I love how this church prioritizes prayer. You know, I have learned to have the greatest attitude about it when Pastor Greg comes and says, we're moving into another season of prayer. I'm like, yeah, we are. (laughs) Amen. There's prayer twice a month on the second and fourth Monday of each month. There's prayer Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in this church. Unreal how much we prioritize prayer in this church. We prioritize the preaching of the Word of God, and we prioritize the participation of the saints. And so, so many applications to this word today. I just want to encourage you, pray for Pastor Greg. Pray for protection over him. Pray for unity on the board. Pray for the staff of this church. Pray for more people to become servant leaders in this house. Pray for protection from the enemy. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us. For more of our messages and information on our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. Have a great week.